Okay, good evening. Thank you. Sorry for starting up really late, but I'm sorry. I have to get another class today. In any case, um, this week is Parshas Vayigash. And the Parshas Vayigash, it says that Paro sent wagons to pick up Yaakov and his family. Paro tells Yosef, send wagons to pick up your family. It doesn't say which, what kind of animals were pulling the wagons. It's very, very likely to say that these wagons were pulled by horses. You could say by mules or whatever, but Egypt was very known for its horses. So it's very likely to say that these wagons were brought to, brought, came to bring the Jewish people down to Egypt, that they went with horses. Uh, that's why I'm connecting this shear to this week, because what we're going to learn is a discourse of Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs. I'll tell you in a moment why I chose to learn this discourse. But what's its connection to this week? Because it deals with the horses of the chariots of Paro. And this week we don't have, in, in, uh, in a few weeks from now, in the in, in, in um, Exodus and Shmois, where it talks about the um, Paro chasing, giving chased after, Israel, after the Jewish people, the Egyptians. And, and they come to the, the sea and they, we have the, the drowning of all the Egyptian with their chariots and the horses. Nope, that's where we're talking about the horses of fire. But what does it have to do with this week's posture? But I found a connection because since he sends the wagons to pick them up, and it's very likely to say that they came down, then those wagons were drawn by horses. And uh, that's the first time the Jewish people were riding on horse and buggies. Because we would think that earlier than that, uh, Yaakov and uh, the, the, the Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov doesn't really mention much horses. They had camels. Avram sends with Eliezer camels. They had donkeys. They were back that they took a donkey. We don't have horses. Um, I wonder, let me check a second, when it says Yaakov brought a bunch of animals. I don't think he mentioned when he sends a gift to Esau, I don't think he even mentions horses. doesn't mention horses. It says camels or it mentions donkeys, not horses. And the one that says that Yaakov sold his, his things that he bought. There we are. Um, became very wealthy. It says, oh, Yaakov had soin rabbis, a lot of sheep, shvachis maids, vavadim and servants, gamalim, camels, vachamorim, and donkeys. Based on this concept, if I'm right, that they went down on horses, which is actually going to be consistent with very much of what the Mimer is going to say, that going into exile is a journey on a horse. It's a really cool idea. We're going to get to that. So that's the connection to this week's parasha. We talk about the wagons drawn by horses. And I would be interesting if I find the source for that, that actually they went on horses. But that would, I don't, I'm guessing. And if that's the case, well, then you've got your connection to the parasha. Now, why am I teaching this discourse? This isn't Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. Um, on Petaf Yud Aleph, on page 11 in Shira Shira. I'm going to give you the same story that I tell you every week. We finished all the discourses in Torah Ar, the book of the Alter Rebbe's discourses. We learned them already. We, um, and I'm hopefully going to work on a project to get them all indexed because a lot of them didn't make it on the website, they're on YouTube and other places recorded. And I want to index them all so you can find every discourse Hashem, from the book of Torah Ar and you'll be able to follow according to the index and get all the classes of 20 years, um, or more than 20 years. Um, 
the reason I'm choosing this discourse is because a few weeks ago we learned the discourse about Parshas Vayetze. Remember, I told you the whole story how it was the, the Alter Rebbe, the, the author, said this discourse by his grandson's Shabbat brachas, by his by his, uh, by his wedding. Now that Shabbos, when the Alter Rebbe said that this, and it was an amazing discourse all about the rings from the, Hashem says, your rings, your cheeks are so beautiful, your your your, ne- your neck, when you have your necklace, we discuss what the necklace means, what the earrings mean, and so on and so forth. So, um, this very same Shabbos, the Alter Rebbe, before he said that discourse, said these discourses, that we're going to learn now, one discourse, and then there's a one following it. There's two of them consecutively, one after another. Both were set on, I think, on the same Shabbos, or by the same wedding. I don't know if exactly the same day, but at the same the same wedding. This is the shorter one, which we'll learn this week, and the next week we'll start the longer one. Um, let's see. So the verse says as follows in Shirashir. It says, To the female horses, in the chariots of Pharaoh, so the word can have two interpretations. Rashi says, I silenced you, my bride. And the word doesn't mean to the horses, but means at the gathering of horses. That means when you experience the frightening moment of the shrieks of the horses, Paro gathered thousands of horses and chariots as they were chasing after the Jewish people. You know how the horses make that whatever sound. Can't copy that. So the Jewish people are standing by the sea and they've never been they're terrified because Paro's horses and chariots were notorious as being the most modern weapons of the time. They had nothing to fight back with, but they did have God on their side. At that time, the Jewish people cried out to Hashem for help. Hashem said to them, be silent. It's on me. You don't have to pray. They prayed. God said, shh, no prayers now. I got this covered. So the verse is saying as follows. At the gathering of the chariots of Paro, I silenced you, my breath. It's showing how much God is saying, how much I've done for you, how much I love you, how crazy I'm about you. That I didn't even want you to pray. I, I even call out. I just, I just took care of business on my own. That is Rashi's interpretation. The Mitsudais, and the, which is another commentary here, and so learns the Sephardim that the, the idea of dimusich doesn't mean come from the word doim. Rashi's learning that the word dimusich means come from the word doim. Doim means silence. I silenced you. And the horses of Paro means at the gathering of the horses, I silenced you. But the Mitsudais reads, and so does, so does Ofarno, that we're doing a comparison. The Mitsudais is from the word to compare. To the horses and the chariots of Paro, my bride, I compare you to the horses and the chariots of Paro. What does that mean? So Mitsudais explains. Egypt was notorious for its horses. Best horses, the Mercedes horses, were all in Egypt. That was like top-notch horses. And that's why the Torah warns us 
that you're not allowed to go back to, to Egypt in order to increase your horse. The king is not allowed to go back to Egypt in order to buy and to increase their horses. Because it was known that the Egyptian horses were like the top top of the world horses. The Egyptians was not the military horses were the chosen ones because they supplied Paris military. In the military itself, there were all the horses of all the regular, you know, uh, all the other battalions of the other regular, uh, um, you know, groups of, of, of soldiers, whatever. And then there was the high general's horses, and then there were Pharaoh's chariot itself, Pharaoh's. Can you imagine those horses were like, wow, outstanding horses. So God says, just like the Pharaoh's horses are outstanding from all the other horses in the world, God says, I too see you, my bride, as the most outstanding from all the nations in the world. That's the idea that he does a comparison between the horses. Now let's take a look and get an inside story. What does this mean when compared to the horses? What's this whole business over here? To the chariots or to the horses in the chariots of Paradis. Now he, the, the minor we're learning, is going to follow more the Pirush of the Radak that the Mesich means I compare you, not I silence you. Because he's also going to do a comparison that we're compared to this horses. In Exit, he brings, there's a verse that says, that God does not desire the might of the horse. Which implies, and then it continues, we say it every day in, in prayer. It's in one of the Hallelujah. It's in um, chapter 147, I think. So in chapter 147, it says, at the Hashem says, what did Hashem say? That, I'm sorry, Hashem says, the verse says, King David says, Hashem does not desire the, the might of the horses. And not in the in the thighs of man does the Ebershter want, does Hashem want. He doesn't desire the, the, the might of the horse. Implying that if you have to negate that God doesn't desire it, it means that there's something very impressive about the horse. Notwithstanding the incredible quality of the might of the horse, horse, nevertheless, God does not desire that. So we need to understand, what does this imply, the might of the horse? And why would God be so, why would he desire that out of all of his creations, the might of the horse? And we have to say that Hashem does not desire that. There must be a very deep, I mean, everything is deep, but there must be a deeper understanding for that. So in order to understand that, we need to understand the deeper significance of what the horses are. The Indian and the idea is as follows. God as well has a chariot of horses. In general, we know when the prophets saw a, a, a vision, a, a, a divine vision, they saw, many many of the prophets describe that they saw a being. The being is in the image of a person. And then there is a throne. And then the throne is being driven or held or carried by a chariot. Some kind of a chariot. And those chariots is, is, is riding on, is being 
is being led by various different animals. But from prophet to prophet, it varies the type of animals that they saw. Most as their vision, the vision was different. The earlier prophets, Isaiah, Yeshaya, and Yechezkel, who were earlier prophets, they talk about chariots of a lion and, and an ox, and, which are very high angelic beings. Zechariah, Zechariah, when he describes chariots, he talks about chariots of horses, black horses and white horses. I didn't look up the, the verse in Zechariah, but um, it would be a good thing to look up. Maybe I'll get a chance to do that before next week's class. So um, he's going. So you see that in the divine chariot, there's also a chariot of horses. Another um, demonstration to this idea that on some way that we need, of course, a lot of explanation, that God has a chariot and there is a chariot of horses above. We find there's a verse that says like this, it says in, 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 in a pasuk, where is this verse? I'll tell you, let me get open the, the index back in. Hey. A little tired. Oh, another verse. It's a verse in Chavakuk. Gimel. Gimel Ches. Over there it says, Kisir Kaval Susacha, when you come riding on your horses. Chulu. And the rest of the verses, Ma'akavaisacha Yeshua. Your chariots of salvation. Referring to God coming on a chariot and a chariot of horses. The horses are, are driving the chariot and they're called chariots of salvation. So again, we have a description of Hashem riding on a horse. Over there it says, Kisirka. So he explains, Ki, the word Ki over here, in Hebrew, Malashi. Which, which is the word key doesn't mean over here as, but it means if. If you're riding on your horse. Which means it's not necessarily that God is riding on his horses. Because the horses are not the only means of transportation that God has. He has a helicopter, he has a rocket ship. He also has a chariot of horses. No. In those days, they didn't know of all these other means of transportation. So it, when we say that, when the prophets are speaking about and they're saying, if you are riding on your horses, it means in comparison to other forms of chariots, meaning the, 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 the beasts or the, 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 the animal life, the animal beings that are driving, that are mobilizing the chariot can either be horses or they can be of other animals. And that's what the prophet is saying. If you are riding with your chariots of horses, then your chariots of salvation. Then they are the chariots of salvation. Maybe not. Maybe you're coming on a different chariot. Then the outcome would be different. So what do we see from here? That Hashem has a whole slew of various chariots with different animals. Obviously, we all have to understand that this is all metaphoric. 
because there's no cows and horses and all that stuff up there. But it all represents certain energies, certain ideas, as he's going to explore what that means. And in this discourse, he's going to explain what is unique about the chariot of horses. There's various different chariots for God. So first of all, you have the chariot that Ezekiel, Yecheskel, saw. He saw Pnei Aryeh, Pnei Shar. He saw the face of a lion. He saw the face of an ox. And then Zechariah, he saw Susim Shchoirin, Susim Levenim, black horses and white horses. And I saw on the back that this is in Zechariah chapter 6, Perek Vav. We also say in the Gemara, the Gemara says in tractate, what does the Gemara say? It's interesting. The Gemara gives you there, that's one of my favorite Gemaras. The Gemara gives you God's schedule, what he does every day. It gives you a schedule, what he does early in the morning, how he occupies his time. These hours he does so, then he studies Torah. Then he, one of the strange things is in the afternoon he plays with the Liviyasa. Right? And then he does this and he does that. And the Gemara asks, he gave me the day schedule. What does he do at night? Doesn't say he sleeps. What does God do? God doesn't sleep. So what does he do? He occupies nights as well. So the Talmud says, <laughs> He's riding on a, he's riding, he goes riding. God goes out riding at night. And he rides on a, on a very light chariot. There's a light chariot and that's kind of the, the, the the uh, the vehicle which takes God for a ride, the shot, and it says, and God soars. He soars through uh, thousands of worlds. Okay, that's a obviously a cryptic statement of the Talmud. But what do you see from here? We have a chariot of lion, um, um, oxen, eagle. Like the like Ezekiel uh, Yefeskel saw sees the chariot of horses, and we have a chariot of cherubs which God rides in at night. So he's not lacking in terms of the various different types of vehicles he can use, or as if they're animals that are pulling his. Okay, commercial, and it gives it simple. It's like we're talking about a king, and just like a king, she actually commonly mean in Markovitz. A king has various different, you know. The king has a lot of different uh, wagons and chariots in his parking lot. Not like a regular person, you know, you got yourself, you know, one or two, maybe three. The king has a huge fleet. And, and, and that fleet can be, you know, exchanged for different animals that are leading it. So, so what king has, Tamish, Tamish, Bimarkovizu. Sometimes the king uses this chariot, Tamish, and other times he uses another one. It's not like in the United States. There's only Air Force One, one plane for the, for the president. Maybe they have a backup. But he always flies in Air Force One. Hashem, like a king, has their various differences. Sometimes he chooses this one. Sometimes here it doesn't see so much the difference in the chariot itself, or the wagon, or whatever. It seems to be the main difference is in the animal that's pulling it. What's the animal? Now, when we're speaking of a chariot as a vehicle for someone to be riding on that chariot, someone to be taken to go on a trip on the chariot, um, 
who is riding on a chariot? Who is riding on? Who is the one riding? So he's explaining that the riding on a chariot happens through a man, a human. Who rides chariots? You don't see ever, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a giraffe riding on a chariot, uh, a cat riding on cats can go because the owner takes it, or another animal. It's a beast. A beast is, uh, you know, roams the land on his own, riding on a chariot. Humans use wagons led by animals to ride. But God is not a human. So why is God riding on a chariot? Well, just like the animals that are pulling God's chariot are not an ordinary animals. They're not physical animals. But they're spiritual, spiritual beasts. In the same way, by Hashem, we also refine that God appears to us as a human. So that human that we find is associated with God, which means when God manifests on some spiritual level, he manifests with the with the with the properties of a human of a human being, which we understand is not physically human, but Hashem manifests and projects himself into the form of human. So that when that happens, a human needs a vehicle of transportation. So Hashem, as he is a human, travels on chariots. What type of chariot? That's what we're saying. Various travels. So first we need to understand who the rider is. Once we get an understanding who the rider is, we can understand the various different types of vehicles that that rider uses. So he's first going to explain what does it mean that God is human. In a kol, all these levels of chariots only is significant and only applies to the supernal man. Now, what is he emphasizing over here? There is a verse that says on, on top of the throne, when Yechezkel, Ezekiel, sees the throne, on top of the throne, he sees the image of a man. And that man is referring to God. Kabbalists asked the question, Hold it. God himself in other prophecies, in other communications, says, or it says about him, he's not a man. First of all, it says that he has no image. Hashem says to the Jewish people after the giving of the Torah, you didn't see any image, you didn't see any form. But there's a specific verse itself, God is not a human, he's not a man, that he should regret and has a change of mind. So there's an emphasis that it says clearly in Samuel, in Shmuel, it says Hashem is not a human. So we say clearly he's not human. And then on the other, Yechezkel, Shmuel, Samuel says he's not a human. Ezekiel says, I see God and he's a human. So which one is he? Yeah, human or not? And the answer is both. God's very self, the infinite being, has transcends all form and definition and can't be characterized even in the most sublime, sublime, sublime um, you know, metaphoric manner, you can't even say, even like that, you can't, you can't even, you can't ascribe to him any human qualities. He's infinitely beyond that. But that's Hashem's true self. 
when Hashem chooses to create the world and chooses to have a relationship with us, then we refer to him as human, we refer to him as father, we refer to him as shepherd, we refer to him as king, we refer to him as judge, we refer to him as warrior. Like it says by Shira Shir, Hashem Ishmacham, a God is a man of war. We refer to him as teacher. And various different, these are all characteristics of human. So God does appear to us as human. And in Kabbalistic terminology, what, what that means is that God descends from the Orin Sof, from the Infinite One, and he emanates from himself specific attributes. And those attributes are human attributes. I mean, obviously, they're first divine attributes, and we are made in the image of that of those attributes, and that's why that makes us our human image. It's, it's a copy of God first descending into a into a form of human. So, therefore, what he's saying is that when we say Hashem is riding on a chariot, we're obviously referring to Him once He lowers Himself down into the human state. That form. He utilizes, so we can apply everything that humans have in our experience is also applicable above, but obviously endless amounts of of um, elevation, elevation, elevation. You have to undress it. You have to realize that it's not what we think. It's above and beyond, but still it has a resemblance. Okay. But Moshe Kossin, now first he's going to prove that God doesn't, does appear as man. Like it says, we turn over the page. Well, the Musakis say that on the image of the throne, the Muskamara Allah is an image that appears like a man. What is the main structure of a human being? What is a human being? What does a human being look like? The structure of a human being is limbs and sinews. Um, 248 limbs which make up the, the shape and the form of the body, compose the body. But then there is a, 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 a whole a whole, um, a whole internal structure of bones, of course, which is the, but the bones are really the limbs. They're the, they're the infrastructure of the limbs. In addition to that, how does the soul get around? So the soul travels in the blood. The soul travels in the blood. And the blood circulates throughout all the limbs. Through what? Through the gidim. Gidim are the sinews of the blood vessels. And through these veins or, or whatever they are, that's where the blood circulation takes place. So just like the human body has that, that makes up the structure, the physical shape of a human body and, and uh, compo- composure of the human body. It's 248 limbs and 365 sinews. The same is also Hashem has 248 limbs. And Hashem has 365 blood vessels. We'll soon see what that means. Obviously not physical. What is that? Those are the commandments of the Torah. The commandments of the Torah are God's limbs. And the commandments of the, the positive commandments of 248 and the prohibitive commandments active commandments of 248 and the prohibitions of 365. These are not just commandments that Hashem is telling us something we have to behave, it's something for our benefit. It's literally the structure, these commandments are literally God formulating himself into a human image. That human image 
is a flow of energy, energy in a certain definitive design, and the mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah action is, is that vessel, is that container. Every limb is a like a human being. The essence of the soul of of of, of somebody we have no communication with. We have no we know nothing about. How does the human being come out from non-beingness, from total abstraction, a pure spiritual force? How does a human being become a noticeable entity that we can interact with? It's only when the human soul dresses itself in a body and conveys itself through its features, through its eyes, through its nose, through its mouth. It speaks, it conveys through the mouth. It can see through the eyes. It can think through the brain. Can hear through the ears, and it can do its artistic uh, things that make this person unique and special through its hands and feet and all the other limbs that a person has. So the limbs are really bringing the abstraction of the soul into a concrete, definitive um, um, communi- communicable entity that we can communicate with, that we can relate to. Other than that, souls, a pure soul, we can't see it, we can't talk to it, we don't know it, because it's abstract, it's just a pure energy. But when it comes into a vessel, a container, which gives it form and shape, but here's these two things. The, the, the vessels and the containers are just a vessel. It's what, it's what creates the shape and the form and the definitions. but it's lifeless. Then you have to introduce the soul itself. Soul itself is pure energy. How is the soul itself introduced into this, into this container, into this vessel? Oh, that's, through, that's, that's through the blood. The blood carries the soul itself, the pure energy. The blood is the same in all the limbs. The blood travels and circulates. It's taking the abstract soul, the energy, and now that energy, when it flows in the limbs, the limbs, so it comes out according to that, the limbs are more the form and the shape and the definitions. The blood is the abstraction of the pure soul interacting and going through the limbs. God is infinite. We can have no relationship whatsoever with it, no definition whatsoever. He wants a relationship with the world. He extends himself into a certain spiritual personality. And spiritual personality is the 248th commandments. God is charity. God is Shabbos. God is kosher. God is, all these things are the way he defines himself. That's his image. That's why there are 248. The mitzvahs are the limbs of the king. It's through the Torah and through the mitzvahs that God takes on a, a form which becomes obviously the foundation of all existence and all of creation. Because once God is is in that human form, from that human form, he's the king over the world, the creator of the world, he creates it from within that system. But first he has to form himself. Now, for God, any form is a tremendous belittlement compared to his infinite, endless, boundless, never-ending, and undefined potential. So, his descent into a form. It's a descent. It's an infinite descent. But what's his form? 
It's the 248 commandments. So therefore, what's amazing is, and this sounds this will sound really freaky, but it's true. When we do the mitzvahs, we are actually creating God. Not we're creating him. We're drawing him into the human form. We're constructing him. Because the mitzvahs are meaningless unless when anybody's doing them. Now, we obviously are doing the mitzvahs in a physical form. We're doing the mitzvah, the same mitzvah. Charity in heaven means a very a flow of energy. It's not, it's not dollars and cents. We are tangibilizing it into something physical. But by us doing it, we are causing an emulation of that. The very same energy above. That the pure potential of infinite light is descending. When we study Torah, for instance, which is the, the, the wisdom, so we're creating God's brain. We're drawing him down into intellect. And that's why the verse says you should do the Simply it means man should do the mitzvahs and he should live through them. By doing mitzvahs, you're going to get true life connecting to God. That is a wilder, a wilder pittish. When you do the mitzvahs, you're making the man. You are actually constructing the supernal man above. We are creating the the interface between infinite light to a creation. Only when God is a man does he create, sustain, and give. And, 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 and God, when he's not in the form of man, has no relationship with the world. And therefore there is no creation. The whole creation is via the medium of Hashem being a man and how does Hashem become man which the form of man is 248 limbs through the observance of the 248 commandments 248 commandments concretize God you know, as we bring him into something definitive into something concrete, to something defined but that's the shape and the form, where's the energy the infinite energy that's in the bloodstream. That's in the 365 prohibitions. When we refrain from doing a sin, we're keeping the circulation of the blood flowing. Or else we cause it. When we sin in God forbid, we cause a blood clot, an obstruction in the blood. So the flow of blood, so the, 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 the non-sinning in a sense, the, the, the observance of a mitzvah through a no. When, when we want to do something we shouldn't be doing and we withhold, is actually connecting us to a more, to a much higher level of the divine than in the doing of the mitzvah. In the doing of the mitzvah, you're tapping the, the limbs, which the limbs are, now obviously, the limbs are very important because without the limbs, you're back to the abstraction. You can't grab it. But within limbs and, and blood, Blood is considered vitality and energy compared to the limbs. The limbs are considered vessels. We need both. So we do positive mitzvahs. We concretize God. And first of all, we're connecting our limbs to him. It's one thing, but we're actually constructing him as a human. We're making him as a human. And when we keep the prohibitive commandments, we are allowing or connecting or drawing down the bloodstream, that the blood is now the blood flow, where the blood is now carrying the soul, the soul over here is the infinite light. 
And because in the, and this also will explain us something also, which is really amazing, because of the blood flow, you're connecting to the soul of God, meaning the infinite, and not so much to the definitions. And for that reason is why the commandment is not, is not a positive act. It's through a non-doing. Because to touch the infinite, you can't do it through a grasping. Because it doesn't have definitions. The only thing you can do is surrender to something higher. It's, 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 trans, it's um, transcendental. It's, it's infinite. It's bigger. It's beyond. And you'll lose yourself to that light. You'll lose yourself to that. To that what? Lose yourself to the to the to it, because again, you in mitzvahs you're dealing with energy. Energy is not is not is not concrete. I'm sorry, in the prohibitive commandments, you're dealing with energy. So because energy is not definable, you can't either do an action to connect. You're doing an action is already definition. So you can connect to it by by not doing, not by yet doing, and that allows you to touch something that's bigger than you. That's why the sages tell us. That through a positive commandment, we connect to the latter two names of God's name, Vav and He. The latter two letters of God's name is Vav and He. So God's name is four, four, four letters, Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke. Now the letters of God, the Yud and the He, the tetragrammaton, Yud, He, Vav, Ke, are actually this human structure. When does God get a name? When you can define it. When God is invisible and infinite and beyond, he doesn't have a name. His name is you're calling him and you're, you're saying something. You're, you're, it's in a, in a form of cer- a certain label. Through a name, you're giving him a label. They have a label. He has to have some kind of a definition that you're labeled. So what's the definition of God appears as Yud, K, Vav, K, the four letters of God's name. Which means that God is now becoming coming down at the level of man. Adam, actually, the word Adam is Gematria 45, the numeric value of 45, which is the Yudke Vavke, Hashem's name, which is 26. The numeric value of Yudke Vavke is 26. But if you add the hidden letters, every letter has hidden letters. So there's it's, it's 26 plus 19. 26 plus 19 is 45, which is which is Adam. So that means Yudke Vavke, which is God's name, is Yudkevavke is Hashem being a man. Comes out that when you're doing mitzvahs, you're really making Yudkevavke. You're bringing God down from beyond the name into a name. Every mitzvah is calling forth Hashem into his name. Because you're bringing him into his limbs and into his blood vessels. You're drawing the infinite soul down. And as a result of that, you're causing a bond between God and the world. And here's the cool, cool thing. That's why when you say do a mitzvah, you're really saying do a yutke vavke. Do a yutke. Why? Because in the word mitzvah, the latter two letters is vav and he. The first two letters is mem and tzaddik. Which Mem and Tzaddik is not the first two letters of God's name, because God's name is Yud K and you have an Mem and a Tzaddik. However, we know that there is a system called At Bash, 
and the Atbash system is that the first letter of the of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the Hebrew Hebrew alphabet become exchanged one with each other. The second letter of the Hebrew, in other words, it would be like in the English alphabet that A and Z could be exchanged, and then B and X. I'm sorry, and Y can be exchanged, and Gimel and and uh, C and, and and X can be exchanged. That's the, that's the way we pair them up: the last letter and the first letter, and so we go down. So the Hebrew Aleph and Tav. You do that. The Yud is the tenth letter from the beginning of the Aleph base, so it switches with the tenth letter from the end of the Aleph base, going back, which is a Mem. And the He is the fifth letter from the beginning, which mixes with the fifth letter from before the end, which is Sadik. So Mitzvah is really, if you switch the Mem and the Tzadik, Yud, K, Vav, K. So when you say to someone, would you like to do a Mitzvah? How about saying it like this? Would you like to create God <laughs> into a human form? Would you like to do, construct Hashem into human so that there can be a relationship? You are actually doing it. Because you're, ten, you're bringing down, now why is the Mem and the Tzadik then not, not openly yud Why is it concealed? Why is it camouflaged? Because the yud is much higher than the Vav-Hey. It's abstract. And therefore you can't define it, so you have to camouflage it in a Mem and a Tzadik. Because it's too sublime. It has to be hidden. It has to be hidden. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to say do a mitzvah. We're going to say just be yud be godly, be Hashem. Be him and funnel him and channel him. And that was it. That's the meaning of the women's. So let's go back. The Zohar says that the positive commandments are connected to the latter two letters of God's name, the Vav and the He. The prohibitive commandments are connected to the first two letters of God's name, which is Yud. That means in mitzvah itself, mitzvahs, how many mitzvahs are there? 613. 248 positive, active mitzvah. I don't want to click the call positive, but they're all positive. But 248 actions and 365 abstaining from action. Put them together, 613. Now, the, the first two letters of God's name is Yud. Yudke is associated with the, with the prohibitive commandments. What do we see from here? Which letters are higher? Yud-K or Vav-K? Vav-K is lower because Vav-K represents the vessels, the containers. Yud-K is the energy. More compared to the, that's what, it's the blood. The blood is still pure, holding pure energy. It's not yet defined in a limb. This is the Vav-K is the limbs. and the, So usually we learn, it's so beautiful over here. Usually we learn that through the, through the doing of the mitzvah, you're connecting your limbs to God's limbs. Now we're learning deeper. You're creating Hashem's limbs. You're making it. You're making the man. You're making the supernal man. It's awesome. That's the idea of God being called man. When he lowers himself down and he comes down into the state of Adam. And where is this, all these, where do you find these mitzvahs? Based on that, you would say, wow, this is crazy. My little peepsqueak me can go and make God. We can create all this. This is crazy. So where do I find these mitzvahs? So he said, look at the Torah. Torah has the mitzvahs. That's why Torah is called Zeis Tairas HaOdam. 
Torah is called Adam. Because Torah gives you the mitzvahs, which the mitzvahs make up the Adam, the supernal man. Pretty neat. For now, let's see inside. The out much got out the mist. I could say the mist come out Adam. Shahu begin as what is Adam? Adam is Ramach Mitzvah Saseh, which means 248 positive commands. And now he translates. What does that mean? The Zohar says, Ramach Pikudin. The Zohar says the 248 commandments are Ramach Evadim de Malta. They are the 248 limbs of the king. Simple put. When we're not doing mitzvahs, God has no interest in having a relationship with the world. Mitzvahs bring him to an Mitzvahs are what he's interested in. So when we're not doing mitzvahs, he has no interest in a relationship with the world. So what does he do? He ascends back into his abstraction. He goes back into being above it all and therefore distant from it all. Unknowable, undefinable. In order to keep him engaged, in order to keep him involved, he chooses what what he likes and what kind of he chooses how he wants to look like. <laughs> can't blame him for that. You can't try to tell him what he should look like. He chooses what he what kind of nose he wants, what kind of face he wants. He he, he emanates of himself how he wants to appear, and he lets us know in the Torah what that is. And those are the mitzvahs. So he says now, you know, so therefore when we do that, we're drawing him into his form and we're engaging in that form. When we're not doing Torah and mitzvahs, God but he withdraws. And that's the, so the, the, the limbs of the 248 positive commandments. The Shasal say and the 365 prohibitions. Shasa Gidim are 365 arteries. Which arteries and limbs are the same idea of lights and vessels. What's light? Light is energy. What's vessels? Vessels are the containers. So the mach evadin, the 248 limbs, these are the containers, the vessels. And the 365 arteries, because they're not so much vessels, that's just that's that, that's the energy. Even though the artery is the is the pipeline, is the where the blood runs, but the real vessel is the limb. The, the, this is just the channel of the of the of the energy. It's the it's the electrical wire that's running through. Which pull, which the 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 arteries draw forth the blood, or allow the blood to flow. Which in the blood is the soul. which is not the limb itself, but the energy in the limb. In our case, it would be the energy of the Orient Sof, God himself. Now, he wants to prove this idea. According to this, prohibitive commandments are much higher than positive commandments. The sages, the Zohar says, this is a passage that's teaching in the Zohar. If you take the first two letters of God's name, which is Yud and He, which the numeric value of Yud and He is 15. And you connect that with the word Shemi, because the Shemi means my name. 
And why are we connecting it to the word Shabi? Because Hashem, when Moshe asks God what's his name, two weeks from now, we're going to read Parsha Shemos. Moshe asks God's the name. If the Jewish people ask me, what's your name? Tell me your name. What should I tell? And God says, then he says, then he says, this is my name. The Zezichri, and this is my remembrance, Lador Vador for generation to generation. So the Zohar gives us an interesting insight in the word Shemi, my name, and Zichri, my remembrance. So the Zohar says like this, Shemi is the numeric value, which means my name. But again, in Hebrew, every word also has numbers. So Shemi is equals 350. Well, 350, if you add to it 15, which is the which is the first two letters of Shemi of God's name. So 15 plus Shemi is 350 plus 15 is 365. That's the 365 prohibitions. Then the Zohar continues. The word Zichri, this is my remembrance. Not my name, I remember. Now remembrance is a little more external than name. Name is more personal. Remember means how, almost like a nickname, the way I am to be called, the way, the way you'll remember me. But there is my real name, and then there is more what you remember. It's a little more, it's a little more external, a little farther away. So Zichri, the numeric value of Zichri is um, 237. Let's see. Reish is 200, and Chof is 220, is another 20. So it's 220 plus a Yud. Zichri as a Yud is 230, and plus a Zion, which is 7, 237. Then you take the latter two letters of God's name, which is the Vav and the Hey. Vav and Hey together is 11. 237 plus 11, 248. So 248, so 248 is, is a combination of the two letters of God's name with Zechri. And 365 is a combination of Shemi, my name. And what is he proving from here? that the prohibitions, the 365 prohibitions, are even a deeper connection to God than the... And it's so counterintuitive because we always feel that when we have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, we're excited about it. We're, we're joyous. We should be joyous. But when we're busy, we're busy trying to fight our own darkness and our own, you know, despicable whatever we have inside of us, we feel so dirty and dark and, and despicable and so frustrated with our negative natures and so on and so forth and we realize that it's exactly in those moments when we struggle and we and we and we prevail that's when we're touching the highest life these are opportunities to connect because god wants to give us opportunity to connect with him as he is higher than definition so we can't do that through a defining action we can only do that by saying no surrendering to something bigger that's when you're touching the bigger light Awesome. Uh, the Yudke with my with the word Shemi is three sixty five. The Zichri and Vavke and remembrance with the Vavke Ramach is two forty eight. Sheshasa mitzvah sloisa say the three hundred sixty five prohibitions. Mipchenas Yudke come from the Yud Hey of Hashem's name. When Ramach mitzvah say and the two hundred and forty eight positive commandments Mevavke come from the latter two names. Now. These are not just different parts of God's names. The reason they're called former and latter is because the former is much higher. And he explains. Um, the Vavke compared to the Yudke is vessels. The Yudke is lights, energy and vessels. 
Now this, okay, so now once we know, okay, so now we know that God descends into the form of man. It's not some man, it's the Torah and the mitzvahs. So obviously up there, it's the spiritual Torah and the spiritual mitzvahs, but it's contingent on us doing the physical commandments, which are derivatives from those mitzvahs, and they, our physical actions encapsulate and, and, and evolve. They have the same DNA of those spiritual command, commandments. They have the same molecular structure, if you can say. They derive from it. And every nuance, that's why it's, you know the Torah is so picky on every nuance of a mitzvah. Because it's got to match the supernal structure above. When we do the mitzvahs, we draw God into this state of Adam, of man. Now, once we know who the man is, what does it mean that he goes on a chariot? He's going for a ride. These Torah and this mitzvah is way up there. It's in completely in the realms of the divine. But God wants to make that energy and that 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 shape that God wants to share Himself, His limbs and His organs, and who He is and what He is, and intimately bond with us. So it has to descend from its infinite sublime level, and it makes its way down so that we can. Tap it down here in our physical actions. For that, God is traveling. He's traveling out of the world of pure unity, where he lives, out of the dimension. That's called Atsilos. Atsilos is the world, the dimension, where there is none but him. He is all. And he's traveling, meaning he's bypassing, he's leaving his home, he's leaving his realm and entering into our zone. Our zone of multiplicity, our zone of duality, our zone of, of what we call the public domain, where we don't see the unity of God, where there is creation and there is stuff and there's good guys and bad guys and a lot of klipas, a lot of unholiness. So for that, the God to leave his palace, to leave his home, the man who lives in a palace, to leave that palace, just like a person, everything in, the, in our world is reflecting the divine. The whole world is a, is a metaphor for God. So just like humans from the, from the dawn of time, when they traveled, used the vehicles. Of course, their early vehicles were very primitive. But then they advanced the vehicles. And we're still fascinated by vehicles. People are crazy about their car. Their car is everything to them. Right? Cars and so on and so forth. So Hashem as well, when he leaves his supernal realm above, to come down and to make himself available down here, he's going on a chariot. Now, he explains an interesting thing. God's journey into our realm is primarily during the week. There is Shabbos and there is weekday. Shabbos, God goes back home. But he doesn't only go back home. He invites us home with him. So Shabbos, we are not really in this world. We're physically here, but we're not down here. We're in a higher realm. We're in Atsilos. We're in a world of perfect unity with God. That's why we're not allowed to do any work. We're not allowed to be busy with anything. We're just in God's realm. In the weekday, we are sent back down into earth. But it's not only that we we draw God down into our lowly dark world. What's the purpose of it? The purpose of it is because when we when we when we reveal this when we reveal the supernal man, not up there, we reveal him down here in physical action, 
we gather up the divine, we call the divine presence down here. In every mitzvah, we bring the supernal man down here. What happens? Basically, it's scary to think, think that, but that supernal man is now expressing himself in your body. When your and my body is now consistent with Torah and mitzvahs, so God has now dressed himself as each and every one of us. Because your body, your limb, is now the flow of energy of that mitzvah. It's taking on, it's investing itself in a physical form down here. So what happened? When this power, powerful house of pure divine, of infinite light flowing through your body down here below in this world is has its feet on the ground, on the physical earth, and shining this awesome, it creates an unbelievable suction, a magnetic pull. And it pulls all the divine potential that is hidden and embedded in all the stuff around us. And it becomes sucked up in holiness. And that's the reason why he descends down over here. is Because he's going to pick up all the divine sparks that were scattered in the lowly world. And the aspects of the world that are completely, as we know that there's little tiny pieces, splinters of light, crumbs of light that are in all physical matter. You know, scattered across the world. And all that needs to be reunified with God. And we know that through the observance of mitzvahs is where we collect all these sparks of holiness. That's that's why God is traveling out to this world. He's really going, as he said, he's going to battle. Like a, a human, like a person goes on a horse. He goes on a, he goes on a, he goes out to war. Riding on his horse, he was riding on his chariot, he's going out to war. God comes down the weekday. That's the point. Shabbos, there's no war. Shabbos, everything is elevated into the divine. But in the weekday, God goes into the state of creation, into the lower worlds. He descends through our mitzvahs. He reveals his presence down here. And as a result of that, he collects the sparks of holiness. Until Mashiach is We've collected all the sparks and then we're able to reveal God everywhere in this world because all the sparks have come to the surface. Everything has been revealed through each and every one of us doing the mitzvahs. So let's see what he says. Um, this supernal, this man, that is the lights and the vessels. Which again, up there, it's a completely, completely godly phenomenon. But now, it's these lights and vessels that which is the drawing of the infinite light down into some tangible entity. But when it needs to come down all the way into the lowest worlds, and for order it to radiate and descend all the way down into Tachton, Tachton means the lowest existence into the our world. In a manner of descent and going through the chain-like progression of worlds after worlds after worlds, and the light is descending downward and downward, meaning the human above, the Torah mitzvahs entity, the divine Torah and the divine mitzvahs are now finding expression through through the world, but not in the spirit. It would have been awesome. It would have been unthinkable that God can would, would come down even to the worlds of angels let alone to come down to a world of such such density like us, like our world. But when the God descends, when does he descend? 
the six days of creation, Yom Rishon Bechesed. On Sunday, God primarily emanates in the channels of kindness. And Monday, God primarily emanates through the attribute of strength. And Tuesday, through the attribute of beauty. And so every day. But what's the purpose? Why is he descending? Why is he descending into this world during the weekday? Number one, to create the world. And number two, to reveal himself through the mitzvahs in this world. What's the purpose? In the six days of creation, it's in order that there should be an elevation on Shabbos. Now, he's descending down during the week. He's manifesting himself. And that's how we do. We, we're on a divine on a divine, we follow a divine rotation, a divine cycle. If you're living according to Torah and mitzvahs, you're basically living God's schedule. You're living God's life. Your conduct is the same conduct like God does. Every mitzvah God performs along with us. So just like we, what do we do? The week of Shabbos, we, we recoil from the world. We go inward. We relax. We go into ourselves. We're not dealing with the outside. No cell phone, no electronics, no interaction with outside world. And the weekday, we all get busy. Everybody, their own thing. This guy's a businessman. This guy's a doctor. He's a lawyer. He's a banker. He's a this. He's a that. Everybody is doing there. He's a shopkeeper. He's a merchant. Whatever it is that you're doing, you go out. You go into the world. You're descending. Your energy is descending outward into the. God's the same thing. On Shabbos, he retracts, and the weekdays. But we know during the week, what's a, what's the excitement of every single one of us during the week? We know we're going to work and work and work, and we're, thank God, we'll, hopefully, we'll make a living, and we'll have, we'll be able to make shops. The whole goal of shops: we work all week long, we'll be able to have a beautiful, pleasant shops. Shops we kick back up. So God does the same thing. He also works the whole week long, descends into the world, so that He can return back to Himself on shops. When He returns back on shops, that's when He has the pleasure. And the whole week that He's going down. Is order to be able to return on Shabbos. But when he's returning, he's returning with profit. Those are what I said earlier, that when Hashem comes down, the powerful light acts as a powerful magnet. It pulls the sparks of holiness out. The descent is for the sake of an ascent. How is this? Will you have the place? Oh, it's on page 22. Al-Yadei, the high notes, like the line begins with the word Levushe Noga, the garments of Noga. Like seven lines, uh, like uh, about nine lines on the top. It's through the rectification of the garments of Noga. When be a Moisachar during the weekday? Noga is the Klippa, the unholy. In the weekday, we ourselves engage with unholy stuff. That's called the garments of Noga. God too descends into the world, into the impure klipas. But since he's going out during the week, where? He's going out during the week to descend lower into the world. And again, how is he descending? Through our Torah and through our mitzvahs. That's drawing, translating his abstract man above down here below. But since he's going out of his own home, out of his own place outside, and he's going to a distance, he uses a vehicle. 
That's why the Hamshacha of the Oren Saif. Number one, he says, number one. Since the point of the whole descent, he's explaining why this descent is, if, if the Oren Saif, if the infinite wants to come down, why does it have to go through the medium of man? Let the Oren Saif come down as is. He's explaining because since it needs to, the, the purpose of the Oren Saif coming down is to collect and re- to elevate the sparks of holiness that are here, to extract and prepare the world for Mashiach, or God's ultimate home. So the infinite light is drawn down through all the mitzvahs. For the, um, and we know that man, from the very, very beginning of time, the human, has always been a warrior. And a conqueror. That's one of the human, human traits. And particularly male over female. The woman is more of a nurturer. And the, the man is more of a conqueror. That's the, the, the feminine trait and the masculine trait. Masculinity is aggressive and it wants to conquer. So God translates himself into a male called Adam, the supernal man, in that sense is male. Descending into weak Shabbos is feminine is returned back to himself into a higher, relaxed, content state. But the weekday is outward aggression, going out, entering into the territory that until now is klipa, drawing the sword and killing the klipas, and extracting the divine potential. It's a war, it's a battle, it's a bloody battlefield. And God engages in this battlefield during the week. For that reason, he becomes in the image of man, because that's what man is. Man is a conqueror. That's why the drawing of the Orient of Mepchenas Adam Davka has to, from the level of Adam, because it's man is the style to conquer. The Lassi and it's man's nature, aggressive nature, to engage in, in war, in battle. And what's the point over here? To subdue the enemy. Right? Men from the begin early ages of time always were always into conquest. So that's reflecting a spiritual conquer, conquer, conquering as well. The world must be conquered for God. There are many entities in the world that don't want this world to operate in a godly manner, in a godly system. They want to, quite on the contrary, want to chase God out of the world, playing there ain't no God and there ain't no accountability and everybody does whatever they want and there's no need and no for a true morality and a higher and a, you don't want that so there's a battle going until when Mashiach comes the entire world will be under under God's kingdom and a recognition and a submission to Hashem but until we get to that point there's a battle going on and the battle is waged primarily through the mitzvahs that the Jewish people do when they are scattered amongst the nations. And who's really fighting that battle? God is fighting it. But what's God doing down here? Through our mitzvahs. But on the way down, he comes through horses, as we'll see. That's the idea. He descends through a chariot. Alas, is Muhammad Ali Kafia in order to subdue the other side. Now there's a verse that says, Sus Muchen Lamochama. There's a verse in Mishle 
which says in Proverbs, a horse that is prepared for war. It's actually in the back, if I remember correctly. He, he says that's skipping one word of the verse. So he says, Oh, it says, it doesn't say Susmuchan Muhammad. In Mishli, it says, Susmuchan, the horse that is prepared, for the day of war. And horses are, are military assets. It sits and it's ready, uh, just in case there'll be a day of war. So it has to be always in preparation. So what does that mean? Once we understand that the purpose of the descent of the orient self into this world is to is to subdue the that which is evil and dark and covering up on God down here, and to ultimately be able to stake the flag of Hashem's of Hashem's te- that this world is also God's territory, the place that was once inhabited by all the klipas and all the sitraachim. And all the forces that were in fact against holiness and against Hashem will be demolished. They'll be broken throughout, through all the work that we do. But we know that in order to go down into the battlefield, you need to have cavalrymen that are riding on horses. And that's the way by way of analogy. Now, the Alter Rebbe lived 250 years ago when that's what wars were. Everybody lined up with their horses and their whatever, and they went and they went at each other with their swords, with their thing. It was a, it was a, what was going on? And what does the horse provide? The horse can make you speed and run and run into an enemy, into the enemy camp and to, to, uh, wreak havoc. The guy is a, is, a, is a real warrior, knows how to fight. But he got to run with enormous speed. Especially when it's far. There is a distance. And you have to cross a, sh- a long distance in a very short span of time. So you're riding on the horse, and the horse takes you across. So the same, this this whole idea is analogous above. So the same is also and the same is also we find by way of analogy. Because there has to be a descent from such a high rooftop, God is descending from the worlds of pure light, of pure truth. And he has to enter into a world of deception and lies and darkness, which is considered light years away, dark, 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 far, far, far away from ultimate truth. So he's now descending into our realm. Since the orange and, and it's the orange self that is coming down. The orange self means the infinite light. For it to descend through Torah mitzvahs, as we said. As his name, so he is. What is he called? He's called orange self, infinite light. The ain't tachlis. He has no end and doesn't expire. In order for that to come down, where to manifest itself down in this lowest realm, in order for it to dwell and to reveal itself in the low, in our material world, 
It requires a chariot of horses. Primarily when the world is very low. Which is, he's going to explain in a moment that that's in the time of exile. When the world is in an elevated state, like when the temple was standing, the world was in a very elevated state. The material world was not so concealing and obscuring of the God. The world was more refined at that in that state because of the tremendous po- power of the Holy Temple. It created a certain elevation in, in consciousness in the world. So the weekday, which is the time of the descent, Shabbos is the side, time of recoiling. But the weekday is the time of God's projection. God's aggre- he gets aggressive and he goes out to fight. And he goes into the territory that that up till now doesn't recognize him. Right? He's going into the into the klipa. Um, in the times of the holy temple, he wasn't considered going so low. Because even down here, in the physical material world, God was very much perceivable. The darkness was not so dark. It was very easy to see miracles. It was very easy for people to connect. If they only made a little bit of effort, and they, they prayed a little bit, right away God opened up to them. And they experienced very, very, very intense love of Hashem and a fear of God. Uh, the, there's a discourse in, 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 in the book of the Rebbe Rashab, Sefer Etter, which is based a little bit on this discourse, where he describes how accessible spirituality was in the time of the Temple State. You have no idea. You have no idea what it means to love God. You've never felt it. Have an open sense of where the heart is gushing with energy. Where the person literally feels that they're going to expire in prayer. They feel that they're going to melt. But they literally feel it. It's not just information up here. It's literally the heart is going in there. And what it means to tremble before the awesomeness. Look, so to literally start shaking like a leaf and you don't even know where to hide. That's what people attained when they, in the time of the temple. Because the world was much holier. Because the divine presence was here. That was only a little piece of how it's going to be after Mashiach comes. It's going to be far surpassed that. But because of that, even though Shabbos was very elevated, higher, and the weekday in general is darker, but yet the plunge was not so far. God was going to a local area. He was leaving his home and he was going to a neighborhood town. Yes, during the weekday, it's a hick town. It's not the palace. It's the suburbs, but it's still the suburbs. When you go to the suburbs, you don't really have to take your best chair. You can have your, and therefore you can have them hitched up with animals that can go a short distance. Donkeys, mules, who can pull up. Ah, during the exile, he's explaining. When the world plunges into real darkness. And that's why the Jewish people go into the real darkness of darkness. And we navigate the darkest places. And everything around though is so anti-Jewish and so anti-holy. And there's anti-Semitism and persecution and forces of darkness that are just... And the main thing is that our souls get blackened and darkened. We don't feel anything. We don't experience anything. We're numb, barely 
can maintain our faith, everything else becomes dark. Prayer becomes dry. We, we don't have the ability to like, we learn, we study, it's, it's knowledge, it's information, but it doesn't melt the heart. So that means the environment that we're in is extraordinarily dark. But yet we're doing mitzvahs down here. We're bringing God down. God is literally coming. In his infinite light is descent. We don't, we don't feel it, but he's coming. Then God is traveling through horses. So he uses a complete different chariot that can bring him down all the way to a very far away place. That's when you use your horses when you're going to a great distance. So now let's read inside. And therefore, Isaiah and Ezekiel, they lived in the time when the temple was still standing, or or close to the temple. Which is Ezekiel lived right after the right by the destruction of the first temple. The Jewish people were in a very elevated state. So we were not deep inside the lowly world. I made a mistake earlier. I was saying the world was not lowly. The world was actually lower than it is now because we already purified the world. But we, the Jewish people, were in a very holy place. We were next to Jerusalem. We were next to the holiness. So even though the work was extraordinarily dark, we were not in the darkness. And therefore, when we were doing mitzvahs, we were bringing, we were bringing God down. Even in the weekdays, we're bringing him to the suburbs. We're not bringing him. The suburbs of the palace, we're not bringing God down far away. The Orinstov was not then in a state of descent and lowering that much. Why? Because in the days of the Holy Temple, there isn't such a big difference between the weekday and Shabbos in those days because the weekday was not so low. And therefore, in other words, there was plenty of spirituality even in the week. You didn't feel the, the stifling darkness. That's why they saw the chariot. They beheld God's chariot. God was still using a chariot. But what was the chariot made out of? Lions. And lions are usually not an animal that you use, that you think of was going to take you off our distance. Because in a lion, you might, you know, or, if he's going to schlep the wagon, he's going to quit after a little while. He's not interested in schlepping wagons, right? the face of He's going to explain a little different. It's not because they're lazy or because of this. The face of the ox. What does that mean? They're a, they're a higher form of an animal, and they 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 they, they have a very great advantage over the horses. The advantage over the horses are the reason why God used such fancy, such fancy animals. <laughs> these are fancy animals. These are zoo animals. These are not the animals. These are not horsey horses. Who has a chariot of lions and aka? This is like you know high caliber animals. The reason He uses them, eagle. You know, there's one, this big eagle pulling the chariot, and the other side is, is a lion and an ox. Why use these fancy animals? It's because spiritually, what that means is. It's referring to very sublime angelic beings, very, very sublime angelic beings. Well, these angelic beings are able to tap into, they have an, an appreciation of who is riding on them. 
it says, there's a verse that says that the chayot, which is referring to the supernal beasts that are hooked up to the chariot, they carry the throne. They're riding the chariot. They're leading the throne. The throne is on the chariot. And God is on the throne. But the 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 uh, Zohar, I'm not sure where it says, and when it says they carried, or the Talmud says, they carried and they were carried. What does that mean? It says by the Ark, we know that the Levites had to carry the Ark, the Levian, when they traveled in the desert. It says they didn't really carry anything because they pretended they carried. And the Ark really carried them. Because the Ark is a living entity, the Ark would just take off. And they were like holding it and they caught a ride on the... It was carrying them. They weren't carrying anything. It was light, even though it weighed. The, the weight of it was astronomical, the amount of gold that was in it. With the cherubs on the top and with these solid tablets, stone, these weighed... So I once, I once heard a whole calculation talking about the, the weight of an elephant. How in the world did four people carry that? And how in the world didn't it break? It was a wooden, two wooden uh, staffs that held it. It was on its own. No one picked that up. And now they carried it. They had to do theirs. They had to like lift. As soon as they went to lift, it picked them up. And they flew along with it. And that's a reflection of the chariot above, where the animals, the, the, they, have to, they have to lift God, whatever that means. Higher. But it says, they lifted and they were lifted by it. Noisais they carry a minusas. So what does that mean? It means that the beings, these angelic beings, who are creations, but because they are so 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 sublime and so holy, they have an they have somewhat of an appreciation of who the, of who they're hitched up to, their wagon, <laughs> who who is on top of this wagon. As a result of that, they reach the deepest levels of complete surrender. They reach levels of complete, you know, they're, 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 they become so incredibly excited and overwhelmed by the awesomeness of who, of who they're carrying, so to speak, who they're transporting, that they, they dissolve from their limitations. Like we learned last week, we learned about the angels singing. They sing all the time. The Mimer and Hanukkah were learning. Arena, they're singing all day. And as a result of their arena, of their song, and of their ecstasy, and their state of this, it causes them, them, as much as that is left of them, to be, to be now elevated by it, which means they receive new enlightenment and much higher flow of energy than they they were capable earlier. So they're doing a service for the Shekhinah. They're carrying the Shekhinah. They're carrying the divine light. They're in service, but they're being serviced as a result of that because they are they're they are gaining enormous amount of enlightenment and understanding and of the divine which they didn't have before. Their vessels expand. Even though last week we learned that they don't have Torah and mitzvahs, that they don't have. We, when we sing upward, we draw down. They don't really have the service of drawing down. We learned they're one track. They're only serving and ascending. But 
their essential ascent opens them up and there is a greater appreciation, a greater understanding. So they now become elevated through what they're carrying. Why are we talking about this? Because he wants to draw the parallel between that and horses. Horses don't know who they're carrying. Even though technically you'll say a lion does know. And yeah, the sophisticated animals that are there, the idea of the sophistication of them is that they have an appreciation of who they're who who is being who they're transporting. As a result of that, they become connected to it and unified with it. But when God needs to travel at a far distance, he can't use these holy angels who will melt it to him. He needs peasants. He needs those who don't ask questions. They don't even ask who's on it. They're just going to ride. Like a horse. Just, you know, without any excitement. He doesn't want these horses getting like all hyperventilating about who they're carrying. He wants them to just be a simple horse or just going. So for that reason, he uses much lower beasts. And they're called the horses who have no clue who they're carrying. They're just like foot soldiers. And they go. And that's, what does that mean? That's when he travels a far distance, which means in the time of exile, that's who he's using, through the horses. According to this, the horses are far more inferior to the other beasts, to the other chariots. But he's going to turn it around in a moment and he's going to show how the horses are really superior. Because from one end, Precisely through the horse. What is that? We'll see in a moment. Let's let's get to that. Um, So again, in the time when the temple stood, and we were not so low, even though there as well, we were lower in the weekday than we were on Shabbos. And therefore, in the weekday when God is coming down, he uses the medium of a chariot. And the chariot is being drawn by these beasts. And what are they? These are the holy Supernal beast, shachayis noisois, they are they're carried umenusois, and they're becoming carried. They themselves are lifted up in akise with the throne. Shachise noisois, some gam came. The throne carries them. Why? Sheino bepchenas richuk machem kolkar. They these communicators, these transporters, they're not. They since they need to transport to a close place, they themselves are in a higher level. They have some kind of a shaykh, some kind of a connection on somewhat of a level to the radiance of the infinite one that they're carrying. They're meant to transport the infinite one down and they have a little sense and as a result, a little bit sense, they get worked up by it. They get really excited about it. And therefore they get carried by it. They get carried away. Which isn't the case of of Zachariah, Zachariah the the prophet. He is already prophesizing and watching God descend during the time of exile. He sees a whole different chariot. It's amazing how he's explaining the reason why Zachariah sees a vision. And to him, the vision is completely different. And by the way, last week's Torah, when he says, I saw a a menorah uh, that holds, that's too Zachariah. So this is really one, one that's the same, the same Zachariah. Now, and over there too, it talks about that when he sees 
Zerubbabel is it's, he's watching the Shekhinah at the time of exile. Same idea. That's what it says over there. But when does he see He sees them as horses. They run. They gallop. They're not being carried. The horse is not flying. The horse is only the Valshemta's horses were flying. <laughs> They're not being carried, they're just carried. Because they have no comparison, and they have no relationship, and they have no grasp at all in who is riding upon them. The horse, as we said, is oblivious to the to who's in the wagon. So now he's explaining what, so what does that mean? Everything is physical and it's also metaphysical. So what's the metaphysical concept of horses? I'm seeing God is not riding horses, right? What does this mean? So we've learned many times in in earlier discourses that letters Letters of words, letters of speech are called horses. Because what is what was what was horses used for besides transporting people? Horses were also used as couriers. They carried they carried messages back and forth. We find it in the Megillah of Esther. And when they wanted to send a message, the riders ran out. Reichvei ran and they would go to distant places carrying the messages. Letters, what do letters do? Letters are communicators of ideas. If I want to pass an idea to the audience here on YouTube over here, Facebook, wherever it is that watching, if I want to pass an idea to people, I don't know, whoever it is, I sit and look at the, I can sit in front of the, in front of the camera and sit and look at you from today till tomorrow. Nothing's going to happen. I got to, I got to open my mouth. I got to talk. I got to let out words. Words. To take information, take concepts and ideas. But the words themselves is very interesting. The, do the letters that I'm using, do the actual, the L, the Q, the P, the, the, the letters, the all of them, does it know, does it, does it recognize the idea that it's conveying or the letter is just a simple horse that's chugging away? The letters are just carrying the ideas. It has no clue what it's. For example, if I was to sit over here and talk absolute rubbish, God forbid, for three hours, but I use Hebrew letters. You can talk, you know. <laughs> Sadly, the R Hebrew today is used as a secular language as well. The holy tongue. But it's used in modern Hebrew, it's used. And a lot of people talk very, very unholy speech in Hebrew. And, and sometimes very vulgar speech. Same letters. Does the letter is the letter impressed? Is the letter aware? Is the letter conscious of what is being communicated through the letters? Letters have no idea. The letters are hitched, hitched to the wagon. Who's riding on the wagon? A saint or a or a monster? The horses don't know. They're they are they're doing their riding. When we say that God is riding on horses, it means 
not horses, horses. It means that God is coming down through words, through a force of words, of letters. The reason we're, and, and they're considered lower than, oh, now, what would be, what would be a analogy of something that is conveying something else, but is not like letters or, or words, but rather is close to what it is conveying? Let's take a look at something else. Let's compare that to an emotion. When you have an emotion, you have a feeling, a passion, a fear, sympathy, or whatever, any form of emotion. There is usually some kind of a idea behind the emotion. There's a concept. The concept is forming the emotion. I'm excited about you or about this or about that entity because of its value, its goodness, its 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 whatever it is. The concept is the backbone of the emotion. Now the emotion when 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 I'm conveying an emotion, I'm conveying an emotion. The concept is passing through the emotion as well, just like it does through speech. Obviously, if I don't put it in a word that you can't know about it, to myself, the, 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 the concepts are flowing through the emotion. But the emotion is enlightened by the concept. The emotion, the feeling, has a sense of it. It, it is carrying an, an idea. And it, it knows the idea. It's obviously a feeling. It's an excitement. But the excitement is... Is is um, the excitement is informed by the idea, as opposed to letters. Even though the letters are the channels through where letters, which create words, which create sentences, which create paragraphs, which create books, so that's the channel through which the ideas are coming through. But the letters themselves, the same typewriter that can write the most exquisite poetry, can write the most vulgar, you know, despicable garbage. Same letters. The letters don't care. Emotion, however, is... So he's saying that on a more refined level to what we were talking about earlier, the chariot that God used in the days of the temple was standing to descend was not letters. The lion, the, these are the emotions of the, the angelic beings that are compared to emotions, not to letters. And as a result of that, the emotions have a connection to the idea. Of, that means in, in, that those angelic beings had a relationship to the divine supernal man that's above them. Have a somewhat of an understanding in the Torah, in the wisdom of God that they're conveying. But during the exile, the medium and the channel in which God is entering and descending into the world is through forces, which are letters that are much lower in the in, in terms of communication, because they themselves don't are not. That's why they're not lifted. They carry the rider, but they themselves are not being lifted by it. Which means. That, because they don't know it. That 
They're just servant. They're serving as a simple servant. I'm conveying the message. I'm dropping it off. I have no idea that I carried diamonds and gold or I, ca- or I carried rocks. And I think about the horses. Does the horses know a difference? Let's talk about the content of the material. Does the horse know the difference if it's carrying um, the most important book that's just coming from off the print that's going to change the world? Or if it's carrying, I don't know what, jelly beans? Boxes, boxes. It doesn't even inquire. I have a horse or horse turn around and say, hey, what's there? What are we traveling today with? Don't care. It just communi- It just brings. So, uh, the, says, the horse is the concept of letters. They don't have any understanding. What does that mean? When the when the attribute of kingship, the Shekhinah, goes to exile, which is really the the person, supernal man above, supernal man above, and the part of him that goes to exile is the Shekhinah. When he, she descends. She's not descending in a very ordinary descent in the order of the way things usually flow. One one thing triggers the next. There's a certain leap. And I mean, she's using the communication of letters. It's the communication of words that are coming from a very, very sublime place, Zalmi, another half an hour. And it goes low, low. Isaiah and Ezekiel. They saw the face of the lion and the face of the ox. That's what I mentioned earlier. That's the way emotions flow from an, from an idea. Which also come from the wisdom, just like the words are coming from the wisdom, from the idea. It's only that the words have no clue what they're conveying. When an emotion is informed by the by the contents of what it's conveying, the emotion is different. The the wisdom is enclosed in the in the emotions. Look, in where we explain this difference of how the emotions receive from the intellect and how the letters. But the behold, So till now we're talking about. Oh, so let me, let's, let's give some. So what does it mean during exile? God comes down through these words. Through these horses, they're words. So what does that mean? I think it means that during the time of the temple, it doesn't say this clearly, but I think this is the concept. In the time of the temple, when God's Torah and his intelligence was communicated down here into our world, it was coming through a medium in which the medium was revealing much more its true inner light. So when you did a mitzvah, 
or when you study Torah, you are able to experience, as we spoke earlier, much greater illumination. Because the messenger was translucent and transparent to the message. So therefore, even though you were doing physical acts of mitzvahs, but the, everything was so, so much light coming through. After the temple was destroyed, and godliness flows to the world, it flows through activities and actions and words. But when you're reading it, all you're reading is the words, and you're not seeing the light that's in it. So it makes it so much more difficult to be excited about the Torah and the mitzvahs because it feels like, okay, it's, it's just this command, it's this command. It's like almost like you don't, you don't sense the, you don't see the orange soul flowing in it. It's like the Shekhinah is coming down through words and all you see is the words. You look at the Siddur and you're seeing words. You're not seeing infinite light. You're learning Torah and you're seeing words. You're seeing stories. You're not seeing the endless light of God. Especially throughout the whole exile, until we started getting closer to Mashiach, and thank God these masters that we're reading here started opening up again the words that we can start seeing the light. But other than that, and sadly, so many Jews who don't study this, they learn the Torah so it's so stiff, it's so it's so restricted, it's so stifled because it's about stories that happened then, this and that, not seeing the fluidity of it, not seeing its light. You're not cracking open the letters. That's what the Hasidic masters are doing. They're opening up the letters that you can see through them. See the light that's bubbling there. You can see the divinity that's flowing. But throughout most of our exile, it's not that. It's not the way we see. We see just we just see words. We don't see the the, the light. The energy is not pulsating. In it. You don't feel the live wire in it. So. So that seems to be Zami, why are you complaining? Zalman. So till now we only discussed So now he's saying, till now what we watched over here is only the negative. We've seen only the, okay, so it's pathetic, the time of exile. We have such a 
the, the, the interface between the Torah, between the Adam, the supernal man, and its translation to us below is at such a low form that you only see the you only see the external, you don't see the internal. However, he's going to explain that to understand something. A horse you use to go to a very far place. So if you have to go very low down to a very low valley, you take the horse down. You're not going to use a different type of an animal. It's not, or the donkey is something that is meant on flat land. Or to go down to a really dark, dark canyon, to go into the Grand Canyon, you want to use a, a, a more stable animal. But that very stable animal that can take you down, down very low can also take you to the peaks of mountains. It's very high. And the way it works is always in accordance to the descent is the ascent. So if the descent goes very, very low, the ascent goes up very, very high afterwards. Sorry, everyone. So, the, always the rule is in accordance to the ascent is the, dis, the ascent, the descent is the ascent. So he brings him, here he doesn't say these words, but something so fascinating. He says, even though in the, it, the weekdays during the time of the exile is much, much lower than the weekdays during the time of, during the, time of uh, the temple. We are in a very, very dark space compared to where our ancestors were back then. They were in a much holotarian territory. But the downside is their Shabbases weren't anywhere as close, as high as our Shabbases. Just that line itself was worth it for me to learn this whole discourse when I saw that. I never saw it. Alter Rebbe says that the Shabbases in the time of exile are so much higher than the Shabbases that were in the time on the temple. Is because Shabbos is always equivalent to the as far as low you bring godliness during the week, that's how high you go back on Shabbos. And it gives the example that when you're shooting an arrow, the further you pull back on the arrow, pull back, 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 and go lower and lower and lower, the farther that arrow will shoot up. The only reason we're descending downward is in order to pick up sparks and to shoot them back up, which means, and we go flying together with those sparks up as it returns back to the divine. The lower you're climbing down, 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 the higher the spark comes from, the farther up it's taking you on Shabbos. So he explains that horses are on the, they, they, we spoke, they're, they're lacking, they're not transparent, they don't know who they're carrying, therefore they're blocking much more of a light. But those horses have the ability to carry you so, so high. And basically what that means, the service during the time of temple 
um, I'm sorry, during the time of exile. For us, we also convey to, our, to God also with, instead of experiencing much emotion in our Judaism, there's a lot of words. We read, we're always reading, we're reading words, we're saying words, and sometimes it feels like so dry and empty. He explains an interesting and lacking understanding and lacking wisdom and lacking knowledge. But he says, no. The words of prayer carry us, can carry us when they're not enlightened words. They're not necessarily enlightened. But because the time of darkness, he says, is so, since during the time of exile, there's so much darkness. So when we hop onto a horse, which are the words of prayer, and we pray, those words can take us much, much higher. Just like I said before, that Shabbos and the, in, 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 during the time of exile were elevated to a higher place than Shabbos. Same as also, if we use these very horses to ascend, they take us much higher than where all the intellectual understanding would have taken us during the time of enlightenment. You know why? Because when our service to God is enlightened with understanding, so when we're elevated, we're elevated to the level of divine enlightenment, which is divine, which is the supernal man above, which is the divine intelligence. But when our service to God is lacking enlightenment, and it's just simple, simple with utter simplicity like the horse, so these very same letters take us above the supernal man above. They take us into God where God is above being called the man. Which is the infinite, infinite, endless, boundless, undefined and un, 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 uncharacterized light of Hashem. Which with enlightenment we can never go there. And he says that's why there's a verse that says, my soul yearns for you at night. At night is exile. Soul represents the word the Torah uses, the verse uses, is the word nafshi. Nefesh is the lowest form of soul, which is letters. Nefesh is malchut, is the letters of them. Ruach is emotion. Nishama is intellect. Only nafshi, my, the level of letters, plain, simple. If you wake up early morning and you just say tehillim, you know, really, you don't have this incredible enlightenment. You're just simply saying words of Tehillim, words of songs. But you say it with, with seriousness. You're there. You're fully present. Even if you're not having this enlightenment, those psalms, those plain, simple words, elevate the soul to unimaginable heights that you could never go with all the incredible enlightenment at the time when the prophets were around. Because really, when you're going up with those horses, you go, you're going all the way up. That's the inside. You make a moisha, you need to work just like the descent of God is through a horse. Which again, the fact that God is descending through a horse means that we have a less enlightened Torah and mitzvah observance. Right? Because we're seeing we're not seeing that much of the godly light through it, uh, but still, our elevation is also like through a horse. Like it says, nafshi 
my soul, Ivisicha yearns for you, but Lila, at night. What does that mean? Lila, nighttime is exile. Nafshi means a yearning, but a soul, but a soul that's expressing itself in pure words, not a sophisticated soul, not an enlightened soul, but simple, a simple soul. The middle word is very important. Ivisicha, I yearn for your very, very self. Ivisicha means I yearn for you. You means none of your manifestations. No. If I would, I'm caught up in enlightenment, then I get caught up with all the divine, the divine manifestations. I get enlightened by this level. I get enlightened by that level. I get caught up in God's wisdom, in God's knowledge, and in all the beautiful perps, or you call it per, perks. I mean, and per, and 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 whatever it is above. But when I don't have any of that, and I just have a simple. I hop onto the horses and say simple psalms and I let my soul just I want to connect to you. That is to God's very, very self, not to anything about him. So it takes us much further than than we shouldn't what he's saying. We should embrace the simplicity that there is available to us in this unenlightened state. Because we go much higher through the simplicity. When the temple is not standing, then my soul yearns for you without reason, because I can't explain it. And then uh, I feel almost like I'm just saying letters. But it says, that his words race very quickly. They go very fast. And that's another quality of a horse. Shasus rats lamakim, that the horse runs to a place. Sheena adam yochelelech baatzmei barabla. You see, one of the things about the horse is it can take me to distances and to places and to race and run to places where the person can't even go there on alone. Achal derech marshal, it's an amazing idea. Once God is in the image of man. He has certain self-imposed limitations. But there are limitations. Because he's already in an image. The image is definitive. And then therefore on him, we can even on him say that the places where he can't go. Because as a man, he's has definitions. Where can't he go? He's limited in the image of man. And he's not... It doesn't have access to the or in self, to the pure infinity that's beyond the level of man. It's light years and light years and light years away from the level of man. And that's what it means. The man can't go there with his feet. It's not referring to us. Referring to God, the divine manifestation as man cannot go there with his feet. But with the assistance of the horses, he goes. What does that mean? That the earth is where Hashem puts his feet. And as God comes down to earth, as we said earlier. But the horse can race to places where the feet cannot go. That means that through our observance of mitzvahs during the time when the temple is not staying. And through our simple prayers that we pray to God using our horses, which are words. When the temple is not standing, we're carrying the divine being who's resting upon us 
and in us to levels that he can't go in the time of the temple stands. Because the horses come down very low, but the horses go up very high as well. The feet couldn't do it to be in the level of, as we spoke, animals. As they are sus, but the horse, rats la maila maila, races higher, higher. Adruma mailas. So the very, very peaks of heights. La maila mitchenas adam. It rises higher than the level called man. Sha'ala kisei, that's on the man. What? Who can say? Anything higher than the supernal man, which is God? He says, yeah. Why is adam called adam? Adam means man. But the sages, the, one of the interpretations of adam means Adame, it is a comparison to the one above. Adam is called, the reason why man is called man, because he's in comparison to the one above. So why is the one above called Adam? Because he's also in comparison to the infinite light that's above. But since we say he's only Adame, a comparison means he's not the Elion. He's compared to the Elion. He's compared to the one above. So therefore, the supernal man is not really it. The real it is God's transcendence above any form. We can only get there through our plunge and our dark and our descent in the time of exile. The simple service of God during the time of exile. What does that mean? This that Hashem is called a man. Only during the time of war, when God descends, he's called man. But in essence, he's way above that. He's not on the level of manly nothing to change his mind, like we spoke earlier. And even though the words that we are using in our prayer, in our service, and the way God is descending down here to interact with us is through horse, which the horse, as we spoke earlier, doesn't know if it's carrying the jelly beans or the or the or the new scientific book. Doesn't know anything, which means it has no clue of what it's conveying. Even though we don't know the power of our prayers, even though we don't understand what's happening, don't care. The horse knows. The horse doesn't. Know. It's where it's getting to that counts. And guess what? Through our service of our letters of Torah and mitzvahs, of Torah and prayer, we are not just carrying our souls, but we're carrying the one that's on top of the throne. And where are we carrying him? Above, 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 to a place that is beyond even being man. And to a place that he himself could never have dreamt ever arriving. That's how high we are going. Okay. The theory explains that the, the source, the horse runs faster than the chariot. Whatever that means. Remember we began at the beginning of this discourse. God says, the might of the horse is not what I want. But now we understand what the might of the horse is. The horses are present. On the one hand, they're horses. On the other hand, Look where they can go. So he's going to explain the reason these letters have so much power to lift 
to lift a supernal man into the no no man's level, into the infinite. The reason why these mediators, so to speak, these letters, these words, these angels, whatever you're going to call them, have that power, these horse angels, it's not their own. What, if it's so special, then why doesn't God want it? The idea is not that he doesn't want it. The idea is appreciate and understand that the power that it has to do so, that the horse has, is not the horse's. In other words, the, the due credit for this ability of our simple letters to carry is not has nothing to do with the power of the letters. It has all to do with the fact that Hashem so wished it. And Hashem imbues it with a power that's impossible. He imbues it with a power to lift the divine man up. Imagine that. Like we spoke earlier that the Levites could never have picked up the ark. God empowered them with the power to do so. And then he's lifting them. So the infinite, the the inner innermost of the Ein Sof called Atik Yom, which is relating to the very essence of God, empowers this aliyah coming through words, as he says. To have to this horse. It's not with the power of the horse. It's not on his own. God desires those who fear him. Because that's the next words after it says God does not, not with the power of the horses is what he wants. What does he want? He wants those who fear him and those who long for his kindness. Simply you learn, he doesn't want the horse. He wants those who long for his kindness. But the deeper meaning is, no. Why is the horse so powerful? It's because those who long for his kindness. That means it's his kindness is referring to God's very quintessential kindness. The chesed of Atik Yom. Over there, no one deserves. It's so lofty and so high. It's all a free gift from above. It's Hashem on his own empowering our verses of Tehillim, our simple Psalms, with a potency that's unbelievable. And we are riding are surfing the waves, killer waves, incredible high that are literally taking us unimaginable. No one ever has gone to these heights. With and we're like, oh come on, it's like awesome. Because it's exile, because it's dark, because his very essence. The essence of the angel of Nimshach from the Shtal Shalamata, God Himself descended down here, to empower the horse. This is the dew that falls from Atik Yomen. Meaning, meaning to say, this is coming from a completely undeserved place. It's the dew that drips from a place called Atik Yomen, the ancient of days. And when does it come down? Bishabbos, it says. So on Shabbos, God empowers the prayers that are going to come during the week to have that power. From Shachas Oyed Seifar Hu Bereish Kol the drawing of the Ein Sof on the highest level, Lamata, Litin Koyach VaOyz LaAliyas Asus, to give power for the ascent of the horse. 
similar words explained elsewhere. There are male horses and female horses, but male and female horses are equivalent where one one um, entices or triggers the other, like in a romance between the animals. So that that would refer to divine stimuli that's triggered by our our work. That means we can activate it. Where the female horse is triggering the male. There's another level of arousal from above. Which are male horses, male, male letters. It's not something that we can stimulate. It's coming from the innermost. It's not what we learned last week. Last week we learned that Bastion, the daughter of Zion, during the time of exile, were called only the daughter of Zion. This is what we learned last week. We don't have the ability to sing. It's the same theme like last week. We don't have the ability to sing. We don't have the ability to this. And yet we learn we will sing and we will rejoice, Bastion. Why? Because the, the the revelation of the dime of Mashiach is coming. God says it's coming from my essence, a place that's beyond arousal from below. This is literally what we learned last week. So here's the repeating the same concept that the ability that God empowers us to touch on the highest levels is because unrelated to the value of to to the to what we're doing, it's a gift from above. Because of God's infinite mercy and infinite love, and precisely because of the sacrifice that we took to go down here, so we are undeserving of such high levels. But it's a special bonus, so to speak. This is where the power comes for this elevation. And that's the meaning to the horses and Paris chariot I've compared you. I want to finish this. So close to the end. Let's do another five minutes. Now, what does it mean, like the horses of the chariot of Paris? What does chariots of Paris have to do? I want to do this very brief, so that's why I think there's still, I, need, I feel I need to discuss this for another half an hour, this whole idea over here. I'm just going to do this quick, and maybe I'm going to find during the week a little bit of time to come back and just do a little short synopsis on to explain this last piece over here. Paro, Paro over here is obviously a force of darkness. The horses in the chariot of Paro represent the dark words. We said horses are words, the dark words. The words of darkness are combinations of letters which are belong to the realm of the unholy. Those horses are also oblivious to their rider. What does that mean? The power that's 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 really behind all the forces of darkness is really God. Nothing can exist 
without Hashem. So the power that's there, but the 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 rider who's riding on these horses, which is Hashem Himself, is unknown to the horses. It's like these horses are running wild without without a rider. They're carrying something. There's divine spark, there's holiness in all the clipper. But we're doing a comparison and we're saying like this. Just like the clipper horses, just like the forces of darkness, the words have no clue who's riding in them because if they would have a clue who the energy behind them is, they would be nullified to God. The fact that they are using the vitality and energy they receive from God and using it for all kinds of terrible things is because they're oblivious to the force of the divine that's flowing in them, because it's above and outside of them, even though it's inside of them, they have no clue. So it's the same concept that we learned earlier, that horses are what? Are, are communicators, but communicators without an appreciation of who they're communicating. But here we're taking it to an extreme. Here you have the horses of chariot of power. So they're the extreme entity of beings who are carrying something, but they have no idea what they're carrying because how would they be chariots? How would they be horses in the chariot of power if they would know who, who's really, how would they belong to the Klippa and the Sitra Achra and the others? In the same way God says, I'm comparing you because you also have no idea. In your horses, your holding horses, you have no idea who you're carrying. And you have no idea to what heights you're reaching. Because the and but it doesn't make a difference. Just like those horses of chariots of power got the job done for Pharaoh, whether they knew what, where, and when, it's it's the bottom line is they're carrying and they're going to war and so on and so forth. I compare you because you get the job done. For me, on the highest of levels. Because you carry, in the time of exile, especially when you're numb, especially when you have no clue what's going on. But yet, you're lifting the supernal man up to levels of unification with what's beyond the supernal man. In, and as a result of that, bringing that infinite light all the way down here into the world. So finish. Let me just read this very quickly. This needs more, more, more explanation. There's, there's unholy horses. The Klippa. They have no clue at all to the godliness that's in them. To be in a state of bitlo. hovering above them. This is the clean levona that's in the katones. And that's why they call God. Because we know the Ketores is also corresponding to the 11 impure Klippot. One of them is called Lavona, which means it's white. It's not mixing with the Klippot. It's the godly that's in the Klippot that remains separated and white and clean. But yet it's, it's, it's the power in the Klippot, but the Klippot doesn't know about it. And that's why when the Klippa do speak about God, they, they speak of him as distant. They say he's the God of gods. But they look at themselves as gods as well because they don't feel that God is their entire power. They know that there is a force higher than them, but that's it, he's distant. 
Just like you, my, my bride, you're also numb to what's going on. But you have no idea what kind of powerful you're drawing the orange safe into all world. So you, my, my bride, over here, Rayasi doesn't just mean bride, but the one who feeds me. You are actually feeding me dinner. You're feeding me lunch. You're spoon. God is saying that. You're bringing me energy from the orange stove into the, into the human state. You're feeding me. And, and and you have no clue. You have no clue how high you're ringing in when you're doing these mitzvahs. They elevate the supernal man like a horse elevates, uh, and you are unified. You're elevating the man. She is you're elevating the supernal man to rise to a level of loyalty. You're doing unbelievable things. You have no clue. But that's okay, God says. It's okay. I don't need you to know what you're doing as long as you keep on doing it. <laughs> that's the idea. Just like the Clippers have no idea. Like, Okay. This is kind of the short discourse on the Susasi. I want to still discuss this. I want to read it again and then give a little synopsis on it. Be'ezras Hashem. You want to leave it over here. And that's Hashem next week. We'll learn the next discourse on the Susasi, and, um, which is really cool. Okay. Good night.